You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Just Riding Along, brought to you by ProGold, Mayonnaise Goo Chumps, and ProGold again. Uh, tonight we are going to discuss how awesome it would be if you guys remember those things, gushers, like little fruit snacks. You could take goo chumps, flavor them with like a beef bouillon type of like beef broth. Go on. And put mayonnaise in the middle of them. Yeah. Like a gusher. Yeah. And so you'd have this like beef flavored. You have this with mayonnaise with mayonnaise in mayonnaise. the middle. Mm. And then you would eat it on a hot day when you're riding. Do you think they'd leave grease stains on your riding gloves? Probably. From when you vomited it back up. No, there would be no vomiting. That sounds... Um, that Amazing. honestly sounds really good. I would eat that. <laughs> of course you would. I'd eat it. <laughs> That's what she said. Anyway. I still have to get ADD for a split second here. Matt, you need to watch this. This, why is, why, this you... is why you don't want a fast scooter. I know you don't want a fast scooter. <laughs> Kenny's looking at YouTube videos, and if you heard Kenny giggling at the beginning of the intro, it's because he, like, queued up a video and pressed play as the British woman's, like, blog talk radio. Yeah. Did she, what, what did she whiskey throttle that thing yet? Oh, okay, you already saw it yesterday. Anyway, that's all. It was just random. I thought it was funny. All right, so I want to start the show with a couple of questions that we had from Facebook. Um, one was actually from last week, like right at the end of the show, this person gave us a question, and we did not answer it. And I'd like to get to it because it was a good question. I'm just trying to get scrolled down to it. Uh, here we go. Um, oh, no, that's from Jim Morgan. Okay, anyway, Jeff DeVisser. Uh, says, two questions for you guys about tubeless setups. First, I know you guys advise to stay away from ghetto tubeless altogether. Does your definition of ghetto tubeless include a stand conversion kit? Yes. yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it does. Do not use those. It, it's, you're, taking a, you're taking a wheel that was not made to be tubeless, and you are putting something in it to make it tubeless. So instead of having a solid bead socket like a nice little channel where your tire will sit, you are instead just building up all that extra space with a rubber strip. And that's a super bad plan. And pretty much back in the day of when you had either stands rims or nothing. Um, it was still a stupid idea. It wasn't a great idea, and it didn't always work, but sometimes it did. You know, I tried it on a set of uh, Mavic Open Sport rims, the ones that I had on my single speed at the time. And my, my single speed cross bike, and uh, with some tires, it kind of worked. Like, if you stressed them at all, like if I had been a little faster at the time and been like railing turns and stuff, it probably wouldn't have worked. But, you know, I had, I did have problems with them burping, like if I hit something really off camber or whatever. But yeah, so it, it can kind of work, but we really just, just really stay away from it. Um, second question. Cyclocross and MTB, non-tubeless-ready tires, are generally easily converted using tubeless-ready rims, and road tubeless should be all tubeless-ready parts. But what about something like a Vittoria Adventure Touring Tire? I run 38Cs, and they nope. are rated to 65 PSI, and I normally run them around 40. Would it work to mount these up on tubeless rims? No. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do it. Here's the problem, and this is... Uh 
I mean, I think there's more and more and more about road tubeless especially. You have too much pressure and too little volume for the system to have any error. So on your 29-inch tire that's 2.2 inches wide, let's just say you're running like a pretty basic tire, you know, 2.1, 2.2, 29 inches. When you burp a tiny bit of air, let's just call it, I don't know how you measure it, but let's just say uh, when you burp 8 cubic inches out of that system, it's not as big of a deal as if you burp 8 cubic inches of air out of a 100 PSI 700 by 23 system. So, um, and the same thing with the cross stuff. The, the cross tire, that, that adventure terrain tire is not made with any type of tubeless stuff in mind probably. And it's just going to be a really bad idea. You might get it to work. It might be fine, but... Yeah, it might work, but you also might smash your face on the ground. Yeah, exactly. And that's the that's the big problem. Um, now, if you're running, like, a stands rim and you wanted to run a stands tire, but you wanted to say, hey, what about running it at 16 PSI? I'd say, well, you know, you're probably going to dent your rim. You're probably going to... The tire's probably going to roll over a lot, but still, I don't think it's going to roll off the rim. And that's the most important part is, is you don't want your tire to roll off the rim because then all sorts of bad things happen on the road bike, like really, really, really fast. Um, I mean, you stand all sorts of things could happen. You could you could pile your front tire up inside of your front fork, and it could stop your front end, which would be pretty bad. I mean, I'm not saying that I've seen that happen, but... When your fork is that small, it definitely can happen. Um, so you have to think about those things. Um, also, think about the surfaces that you're riding on. And when your front tire decides to roll off the rim, you're going to hit your face on something a lot harder than if you're mountain biking. And yeah, you, you have a probability. Back. You probably have a probability of, of saving it um, on the mountain bike if you burp a tire. Yeah. I mean, on the road bike, a of times. you're just going to hit the pavement. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, like it, it, pretty much any time on a road bike that you suddenly lose a lot of air out of the tire, there is a high chance of you falling, especially if it's your front tire. Yeah. Your rear tire, you might like skid around some and save it. Your front tire, if it all of a sudden lets loose and falls out from under you, you're, you're just going to you're gonna hurt yourself. And we don't want you to hurt yourself, so you probably shouldn't do that. Um yeah, that's pretty much all there is to it. Like, mountain bike is pretty much, mountain bike tires being non-tubeless style tires, a lot of times those work just fine. Most of the time they do. There's definitely some exceptions out there. But, uh, yeah, like anything else, like even cyclocross, we generally just don't even recommend. Like, there's enough, there are enough cyclocross tubeless tires out there now. Like, go with, on your cyclocross bike, go with the, with the uh, did this cat just, like, come over here and fart? I smell something real weird. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't me. I didn't do it either. Uh, here's something else to think about. Uh, because I know all of you out there that love to refer to this term ghetto tubeless. You're like... Um, just so you know, half of Memphis is offended by that because it sucks so bad. Um, your ghetto tubeless setup, like I get it, you want to get that straighter valve... 22-inch BMX or wheelchair tube and fillet it open and all this shit. Well, guess what? Let's just say that the price difference is... Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to go on the low end. Let's say you have tubeless wheels, uh, but you don't have tubeless tires. On and a road bike? Any bike. 
Okay. And let's just say you get really nice tires that are $80 a piece, which will cover any discipline. $160, right? Well, I don't have $160 for tires. Not everybody has money. Well, guess what? I'm going to offer you $160, and if you take my $160, I'm going to take a shovel and hit you in the face as hard as I can. And if you think that's an absurd idea, then spend $160 and buy real tubeless tires. If you think that's still an absurd idea, keep running tubes and don't bitch about it. Because it's really a huge safety issue. I do like I do like what you say. Like, how much would it cost for me to hit you in the face? Yeah, how much is it? Because for hundred and sixty dollars, if I said, "Look, I'm going to give you two hundred dollars, and I'm going to hit you in the face with this shovel," you would look at me and you would honestly think there was a whole lot wrong with me. Now, when we put it in this context, sure, it, it seems very simple. But every day, there's dudes out there that are just like, "Oh, it'll work." You know, I read it on the internet that it's uh, you know, but what do they know? Bubba down the street, he he did it and it worked fine. He runs 90 PSI on his ghetto tubeless road tires, and he doesn't fall down ever. Well, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. But it's not not going to happen. Um, I have another thing against road tubeless that I would like to visit while we're, while we're on the road tubeless issue. By the way, if you want to call in and talk about anything tubeless, or even if you have something totally off-topic to talk about, our There's number... There's no such thing as off-topic. Our number is 646-595-4113. So go ahead, Matt. What were you going to say about road tubeless? Um, I think road tubeless is a bad idea because you probably cannot afford to change a flat tire. Um, you mean like a total failure type of flat? No, um, I'm going to go out there and say that you're, when you puncture that tire, it is going to be a total failure. Um, I've had very, very low success rates with stands, sealant, plugging holes in tires. In road tubeless in tires. In tires, period. Well, I think it's because... No, no, no hold no. on. Let me, let, me, let me add one thing in. I think that the reason why most people are like, oh, God, Stan sucks, is because you don't notice when it works most of the time. Like little tiny pinholes and stuff, like you just don't notice it. It just feels them right off. You don't lose much hair. You don't notice it. It's when you get, like, a nail in your tire, which they advertise, like, nails in tires and stuff, and then it doesn't seal up. That's when you're like, oh, this shit sucks. It never seals anything. But I think that there are some times that stands will seal up little holes in your tires. Stands will seal up little holes in your tires, and you just don't notice it. Probably. I mean, I'm just making that assumption. Well, I know it does. I mean, for example, I'm usually really, really diligent about making sure I've got stands in my wheels. And a few months ago riding a local trail, and got a flat front. And it was very apparent there was a very, very, very tiny little pinprick. I didn't see anything still stuck in the tire, so I ran over a thorn or who knows what. And wouldn't seal up. You know, I tried to get the stands to be at the bottom and plug the hole, and it just wouldn't do it. And it was very apparent that I just had forgotten to refill the stands on the front. I broke it open, and sure enough, it was dry as a bone in there. And if I had stands in there, it would have sealed it, no questions asked. And it did later. I'm still running that same tire. I just went and I put stands in it, and I am still riding it. So. But I think what you're saying about road tubeless, like you have good valid points no, about road but, tubeless. So let me let me keep going because this is what my experience has been. So it tries to seal up, and then I air it up, but then under like it seals at five psi. But then when you air it back up to a usable psi, it just blows the plug out. Are you talking about road tubeless? Or no, you're no, talking no. About? I'm talking about a mountain bike. Oh, okay. 
So at 30 PSI, it's blowing plugs out, right? So what do you think is going to happen at 100 PSI? The first thing is you're going to have to stop still. Okay. Yeah, you still so got to put more air in your tire. You have to stop and you have to, and this is very important. You have to pump your tire up. You cannot use CO2 at this point. Just hang along for the ride. Because if you're thinking I'm stupid right now, just wait. You have to pump your tire up. You get back on your bike, or you put your pump away. You get back on your bike. Five minutes later, you know, your stands ball or your little stands plug is spurted out. And you're going to need to, at this point, take a tubeless road tire off on the side of the road. Take a valve stem out, which taking the tubeless tire off on the side of the road is going to be really hard. Road tubeless is a different level of tight. Um, then you're going to have to remove a valve stem. You're going to have to get a tube out, put a tube of your pack, put it into the tire, and then you're going to have to remount this extremely tight tire without pinch flatting your tube, and then use CO2 or your pump again to air it up, and then continue your ride. And I just don't think that that is a good thing for the average person. I think that, and not to be sexist, but this is going to happen more I think you're going to see people that have regular everyday jobs, um, so a lot of men, but even more so, there's a lot of women that probably couldn't take a road tubeless tire off. So yeah, there's a lot of women out there that can. I get it. I'm not, like I said, I'm not being sexist, but that... Anyone with less hand strength. Than, than like than a like, lumberjack. Yeah, yeah. So if you work an office job and you think it's hard to hook your Yakima chain strap, that little rubber doodad on your bike rack... Road tubeless isn't for you because you cannot get your tire off. If you are a hundred pounds and the most strenuous thing you do all day is staple stuff, you're not a candidate for road tubeless because you can't get tires on and off the rim. And I think that a lot of people overlook that. I ran into an issue on my ride Saturday where I flatted. And by the time I dicked around and finally got my, my flat tire changed on regular tires, on regular wheels, I was really cold. I was painfully cold. And it was like really, really hard to keep moving quickly to get this problem eradicated. And then even harder to get back on the bike and try to get warmed up and rolling again because I just got cold. Like all like the all way your, cold. Your sweat just like pools on you and you get just, it's, it's terrible. Like getting a, a flat in that situation is you know, very uncomfortable. And I went from pretty hard riding to pretty easy riding. I was exploring a road that I had never seen before. Um, and I was picking my way through. And, I mean, it's no real fault of the tire. I mean, I, I, I kind of wish they were a little tougher on my road bike. Um, but I ran over something sharp, like, I mean. Like a staple or something? Probably a piece of a broken toilet. I may have ridden around something like that at some point. <laughs> um, like, so, like a small piece of uh, ceramic or porcelain or whatever that's made of, you know, and it just, I got like a tiny little cut and I had to like limp it to get to a spot where I could change it. And then I changed it and it was really like, it was just cold. It was overcast and it was really windy. When I say really windy, I mean, there was like a steady breeze and it was straight overcast and it was, it was a typical Memphis winter day. Yeah. So it was like, like 45 degrees, 40, 45 degrees. No sun and heavy humidity. So yeah. it was just thick and cool. I got a flat on Saturday on the road bike for the first time. I was yep. very sad. Were you okay? Did no. you have your seat pack and stuff? I was good. No, I had all that stuff. That's good. Everything was, everything was good. I couldn't figure out how to use my CO2 inflator, though. 
Oh. So it was one of the ones where I'd never seen one like that before. I I bought it apparently. Twist it on and then twist it back. I didn't know you had to twist it off to get it to work. So I'm like I'm like what the fuck's wrong with this thing? Anyway, <laughs> so I finally figured it out and it it worked. Everything was. You good. started to take it off to be like to like throw it. I in was the going bushes. to. I was going to throw it in the lake. And like as soon as you started to unscrew it, it's like. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. And it worked. It was fine. So everything <laughs> everything was good. So I, I rode through uh, I rode through the little rock garden at Herb Parsons on the CAD 10. That's good. No, I flatted. The rock yeah. garden. Like the, the... Oh, like by the lake? The like river. by the lake, like at the beginning of the trail. Yeah. I was bored, and I was... Yeah, well, that was, I was, sticking, I was sticking around. What kind of tires do you have on there? Uh, Mavic Axion 23s. Oh, my God. You have the worst tires the tires, ever. you have the Mavic tires? I don't know. That's what came with the bike. They're terrible. They're not good in rocks. They They're should, not good anywhere. They should, they should advertise that. Not, your bike, not made for rock gardens. You know your bike will ride a lot better if you put nice tires on there. Okay, for wintertime, like when you're more likely to come across crap in the road. Um, well, I use the, well, I mean, Continental Gator Skin is kind of like a... You used to ride sensible wheels and tires, but now you're an idiot and you've had carbon clinchers all the time. I've had carbon clinchers constantly now. I was thinking but, about getting a set of the 25C Endurance Michelins. Those are probably good. I think they're going to be pretty sweet. Yeah, I mean, like most, most uh, road tire companies are going to do... Like some kind of race weight tire, they're gonna do maybe something a little bit heavier than race weight, and then like a like an all season tire, like an all season sort of tire, and then a hard case. And the hard cases, it's kind of hit and miss as to. I mean, they're all gonna be good as far as protecting you from slats and being long wearing, but some of them are gonna ride like shit. Yeah, some like like the Maxxis, uh detonator, which I think is a bad name for a tire, but anyway. <laughs> The Max's detonator, I got a pair of those, and they're hard cases, and yeah, they're they're freaking tough, but they also just don't ride that well. Well, I think so. there's a, a big difference in that is going to be whether you have a tire that is a very hard compound that yeah. makes it flat resistant, or you have a tire that has a nicer, like, mid-weight or even a little supple compound, yeah. but it has some layer of flat protection it, built into the like casing of the tire. Skin. Or something. Yeah. Yeah, so. that's why I really like the. I think the detonators are a lot like the uh, the armadillo, like that. Who makes the armadillo specialized? Yes. The specialized armadillo. I've I've have some of those. They're they're kind of cool. Yeah. So. I mean, you you can run over stuff. Is it the S Works armadillo captain? Uh, <laughs> ground cool. control. Not, ground control. Well, a captain and a ground control are different tread patterns. Stop being an idiot. <laughs> um, but yeah. now I've got the Maxis Refuse. Which is, uh, it's like their all season tire and a 25, and it's it, it seems good. Like today we ran over a bunch of like cinders and crap in the shoulder, and uh, I didn't get flat. Oh, since we're talking roadie stuff now, all of a sudden, um, for what it's worth, on your average width road wheel, uh, Continentals are not what they're advertised at all, but only the Gator skins. It's really weird. So a 25 Gator skin actually measures like 22 and a half. Yeah. Which is really silly. Hey, Unless well. you get the tires that I have, those Challenge Parigi Roubaix, they're labeled as 27s and they measure as 30s. They're <laughs> so fucking sick. I, I haven't remeasured the Maxxis ones now that I've ridden them. Um, when I first put them on, they were 23 or something, or 23 and a half. They're supposed to be 25s, but I, I rode them today, so they should have. Yeah, you you want to hear something else disappointing in the bike world? Yeah. 
SRAM had to recall every one of their hydraulic brakes. I know. Every single hydraulic brake. So I'm sure if you go back through somewhere, I was like, that's probably a bad idea. And Andrea was like, this is a bad idea because roadies are gonna, road shops are going to have to figure out how to bleed shit. Well, apparently, Avid had some faulty seals in their master cylinders, and they have recalled every SRAM hydraulic road brake, whether it be... Because in the freezing temperatures at a cyclocross race, suddenly everyone's hydro brake. So I'll pass along what I know so far after talking with SRAM and warranting one set of these so far, if anybody is curious. And I'm sure things are going to change because they basically said that they don't know what they're going to do yet as far as hooking people up in the interim. And Well, they have to do something. They are. But this is, so this is what they're doing. They're very responsive to it. it. Basically, I mean, there's no question about it. If you have one of their brakes, they're taking it back. So that's that. It doesn't matter where you got it. Like, they don't care. They want them back. So they're going to go back to them. They're going to send out a set of mechanical red levers and a set of BB7s. I don't know if the BB7s are the ultimate edition or if they're the regular edition yet. Um, regardless, you're going to get some BB7s. You're going to get housing. You're going to get grip tape. You're going to get cables, obviously, and you're going to get full-on red shifter levers, like well, the whole good. line. And that's going to be the interim. They don't know, because I asked, what they're going to do with that product when the new one comes in. If the customer gets to keep it, if the bike shop gets to keep it for all their labor of swapping out two sets of setups, including derailers, which is kind of shitty. Derailers. Well, you got to reset up everyone's derailers. You got to run. You got to run all new cables and housing oh, oh, oh. all the, the way around. Installing new derailers. You have to rewrap the well, bar. I, understand I mean, it's that. Kind you of have a pain. to overhaul the bike. Basically, yeah, it's like not a minor thing at all. And um, what's really sad is all these bikes are really new, so they don't need this service yet. No, that's a, that's kind of a, a bummer. No, so you got to do that. Um, Anyway, and SRAM couldn't tell me because they haven't decided yet if the customer is going to keep the levers or if the bike shop is going to keep the levers and the brakes or if they're going to have to go back to SRAM. He doesn't know yet, but in the meantime, wow. that's what the customer gets. And I do not have an ETA on, um, on shipping out the new ones, whatever the fix is. I have no clue. Yeah. So the other thing that's a little crappy is currently on the bike shop side of things, on the labor side, and this is like a pretty big deal, and you've got to do it twice, understand. All they're doing is giving you, like, chains as compensation, uh, which I, I think is a load yeah, of Yeah, they used to do that with the, like, yeah, but the thing is, one of the brakes. That the we problem were, is like, they, the XX brakes, they, they don't do it a chain or two. They don't do it consistently, and that's what kind of upsets me about the thing. Like, he'd, he'd just be like, what kind of chain do you use on your bike? And I'm like, well, uh, a 10-speed one. He's like, all right, I'll send you one. And I was like, well... Send one here for Kenny, too. Like, well, what does Kenny use? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they will. It's nice that they're giving you some kind of compensation, but they should. I mean, it's the bike shop is the one that has to interface with the customer. They have to take it off of their bike. They have to call SRAM. They have to get the replacement. They have to install it. And then I have to uninstall it and reinstall another one. And, I mean, I'm talking about per customer of all the back and forth and the installing and uninstalling and all the crap. It's going to be eight hours. I mean, it, yeah. that's not cool. No, it's not. It wastes Especially, an entire... That's really not like, cool. Matt, what you're dealing with, dealing well, with your, your did, friend at work is... Did he bring you his brakes? Is that yeah, what he did. Okay, so maybe to put this in a little bit of uh, perspective, Ken and I are kind of helping the same person. My boss has SRAM Red 22 on a bike, and I didn't know if... I didn't know if Kenny was going to be able to do the warranty process or not, but I planned... I, I had to go get his bike 
to take the brakes off to send back, so I had a reason to leave the house to get Ryan's surprise cake for his surprise birthday party yesterday. <laughs> so I really just used it as an excuse to get out of the house, and I grabbed the bike, and I did this not necessarily out of laziness, but more so out of SRAM's evaluation process. Um, the rear brake was internally routed, so I decided that I was going to have to disassemble the rear brake one way or the other. And if you remove the line, then you would have had to have cut the olive and stuff off the end regardless to get the fitting off to pull through the frame, right? So I just cut the line to leave that fitting intact. You, you see what I mean? Like, that was my thought. Not cut the line because the hell with them, but cut the line so... Well, you have to cut the line regardless, so it's right. already going to be too short. And so why be, not just cut it? Exactly, but you can leave it attached to the caliber, and you can leave it attached to the lever. But yeah, it took me like probably 35 minutes just to tear that stuff off. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, there was a lot of little pieces to it. Like, there's a little rubber piece that the hydraulic hose, that goes around the hydraulic hose to keep it from rattling in the chainstay. There's a cable stop for the front derailleur. There's a cable stop for the rear derailleur where those housings enter the frame. And, like, I had to keep up with all this stuff and tape it. And then, you know, it's just, like, little stuff. And, and then the customer can't ride their bike for a little while, so you're storing the customer's I mean, bike. I'm glad that SRAM is being proactive about yeah. the thing, and they yeah. have to be. But the deal is, from a bike shop perspective, it's a little shitty. They because need to compensate the bike shop. They stuff. really do. It's not cool. They really do. It. It's not cool, because I'm the one that has to deal with everything. There's a lot of back and forth, and anyway, I'm just going to throw out a number, and I'm going to say average customer for both swaps is going to be a bare minimum of eight hours of being on the phone, taking stuff apart, putting it back up, setting it up, talking to the customer, calling the customer, all that kind of crap you got to do. People don't and realize then, all this stuff, and if you're a probably low-end shop rate, it's going to be $50 an hour, so the way I see it is SRAM owes me $400 in labor, and I'm not going to get that. I'm going to get a chain. Right. And I don't know. That's I'm not very happy about that. So that is what it is. But just so everybody kind of in the public knows just what so bike you know, shops deal with. Like when you get something when, warranty. When, me when your mechanic warranties your, your SRAM hydraulic brakes, like you, you owe them a $400 tip. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> or not even a four, don't bring them a six pack. Buy your next fucking pair of shoes there. Buy your next pair of gloves there. Buy a helmet there. Like Buy something at your bike shop instead of the internet. Thank them for your time, or their time, genuinely, because they are doing you a big favor. And if you go in pissed off because their bike's still not ready, guess what? They're probably pissed off because they're still dealing with that shit. Because you came in and asked them five times where their badass race bike is, and guess what? They've had to call SRAM five times now, which is 15 minutes of pop, so that's another 75 minutes of their time, just thrown straight up in the air, you know, like, it, it's just a lot of work. It's a whole lot of work. And, yeah, Kenny, it, it, and I use Kenny because he's the shop guy now, but <laughs> the, the Kennys out there are definitely getting shafted. I mean, think about it. Let's just say you do three of these, and let's just say that you do them in bunches, so you only lose five hours a piece. Let's say you cut out a bunch of phone time, right? So you do five hours a piece. That's still 15 hours. And really a different way to look at it is that's six bike builds. And, you know, you're not going to let like Joel, the dude that's barely not a dishwasher at the local bar do this, you're going to use your good mechanics. So you're not doing fork overhauls. You're not doing wheel builds. You're not doing, 
high-end bike builds, you're you're doing warranty work all for nothing. And SRAM is really reaping the benefit here, and they always have. And unfortunately, SRAM is going to tell you to piss off. Um, I ran into this. Yeah, SRAM will – maybe they'll change their stance on this particular thing. But SRAM does not – SRAM doesn't pay – has never paid out for labor. Now, granted, I will say that almost no company I've ever encountered has ever paid out for labor. But – um, dealt with SRAM. But I've never had to deal with a company as much as I had with SRAM. You know, with Shimano, I warranty like three things a year. Um, hey. <laughs> oh, um, you know, we, we warranty three things a year from Shimano. Yeah, yeah. And I warranty, without exaggeration, probably one thing every one to two days from SRAM. And that's not an exaggeration. Um, Especially like the XX, the, when the first XX brakes came out, it was kind of the same thing, but it wasn't as fast. I would wait until I had like five sets of brakes and call them at once and just get them all done because otherwise I'd be, call, I'd be on the phone with them 24-7. So anyway, that's, it's not a, I don't want it to be a total bash fest on SRAM. I think SRAM is stepping up and trying to fix the issue. but They're taking care of the consumer, but they they're are. not taking care of the mechanics that are doing the dirty work for them. Yeah. I, I can tell you what Seven did to me. Seven sent me a titanium frame that you couldn't put a zip tie through the zip tie holder. Yeah. And they would not let us, they would not give us any money back. So we built a bike. And we're a dealer. We built a bike and we had to tear it down because literally it was the last thing. Like I yeah, shit you not. The, it was like a single the... speed build, but sure, it was a build. It was a full build, and the last thing was tidying everything up, zip tying everything on. And I shit you not, you couldn't fit a zip tie through the most important zip tie holder, which is the one right there by the rear tire on the seat set. And the guy told me, "Well, file it." I'm like, "Dude, I'm not a frame builder. I don't have a file this size." Go buy one. I, they don't make. I, I don't know where to buy. You have a to file get like a little size. like a feather. I think they call it a feather file. Or like a jeweler's tool or something yeah. like a jeweler's file or something. And I was like, no, I'm gonna send this back. I was like, if I scratch this guy's bike up, he's gonna be pissed at me. So like the owner of the company's bike. No, it wasn't. It was like oh, really? the resident big dick in town that can do no wrong and everyone wants to blow. So. I don't know which one you're talking about. Thunder goes. Boom. Anyway. Oh. Um, oh yeah. Anyways, um, they pretty much told me I could fuck myself. And their answer was when they sent the bike back, there was a zip tie in there, and the zip tie was like stretched through there with a pair of pliers, and was like it was so stretched out it barely zipped on itself. So if you'd like broken the head off that zip tie while you were zipping it? I would have had to have stretched another one through there and then like hoped it didn't break. So did they file it at all? Or did they, they did they just some. Didn't... They did some okay. and it didn't look how I wanted it to. And it, you know, it just, and when I say how I wanted it to, what I mean is I wanted it to look like a new fucking bike that didn't need to be modified after it left the shop. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, you know, great. Handmade in America, you know, great. That's the problem. That dude at seven didn't get fired for that. And should he have been? I don't know. But if you did that shit in Taiwan, I'm sure there's a hundred people lined up that want your job. And you probably wouldn't make it. And that's the problem. With Handmade in America and wanting to suck this big Uncle Sam, like, flaccid <laughs> penis that's like, 
whoa. everything made in America is magically better. Well, the guess hate, what? The hate is strong tonight. Well, guess what? If you <laughs> no, I'm dead serious. I've had I've had nothing that looked nastier than a seven bottom bracket. I've had no I've I've never seen a bike from Taiwan that I couldn't put zip ties through the zip tie holders, like. And the dude that did that to that bike, he probably looked at it and thought, oh, fuck, can't put a zip tie through there. Oh, well, it's not like it's somebody's custom bike. Let's go get a beer. Fuck that guy. I'll bet you there's more people that show up hungover to work in the U.S. than, than anywhere in, else. Than oh, anywhere yeah, else. Totally. With the exception of maybe like, like Ireland or something. But, <laughs> but you, I mean, you don't really see... I guess that's the thing. They're not actually... They may, they may show up more drunk, but that's just normal because... Yeah. I mean, I'm dead serious, though. Like, that is something that has always burnt me up and something that just... It, it really just blows my mind. Like, I just put a bike together today for myself that's beautiful and everything on it works just fine and there's no blemishes, there's no problems. The only thing that I ran into on the whole prop thing was, like, user error. And... I mean, that's it. What, what, what was it? Uh, I may or may not have started one of my water bottle bolts a little bit crooked. So. <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, on the other side of things, I've got a an American part, American-made road bike now, and it's the most awesome thing in the world. No, okay, so I think the good thing to say here is there, it's not that there aren't good full-blown American-made products. I think there are. There's a ton of them out there. But, but don't unfortunately, don't, don't assume yeah. because it's made in the right. U.S. and that it was expensive that it is going to be good. Right. That's, the thing. that's a fallacy. People think that made in the USA is synonymous and inseparable from superior quality to all other goods, and that is just flat-out wrong. People used to say this about cars. So when there were – it was kind of 50-50 when high-end cars were built by hand. Um, this is more like – 10, 20 plus years ago, people would say, oh, I want the hand-built car. I don't, I don't want one built by a robot. And I'd be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Give me the one built by a robot. Because the robot's consistent. The robot's going to do it the same damn way, and it's going to be, you know, assuming that it was programmed properly, it's going to be perfect. The so robot anyway, doesn't get tired at the end of the day? No. Robot doesn't have a bad day. Robot doesn't check his text messages. No, the robot doesn't, like, you know, drop, like, a piece of his dip, like, into your into your upholstery and then sew it in or something like that. <laughs> I mean, that's, well, that's the thing. Like, my frame wasn't built by a robot. It was handmade. Which one? I specialized. Oh. Do they hand, they hand weld? Mm-hmm. Well, those little kids are like robots, man. Well, I mean, well, same thing. They have to be, and if they're not, they're going to get fired, and another little kid's lined up in a diaper with a welder, like, ready to rock. <laughs> you know... He's got special welding diapers. Yeah, and they're they're not flammable. <laughs> they're flame retardant diapers. They absorb urine but do not absorb flame. <laughs> I don't know. I picture like a little baby onesie, but it's like a welding suit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And there's like a milk bottle skull and crossbone on his helmet. <laughs> so awesome. Anyway, I love stereotypes. So cool. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. And again, I'm not saying that the experiences that I've had with Seven, I've had some other really weird experiences with Seven also, but um, I think that I have shat sevenfold upon them already, oh so God. I don't, I don't well, need to shat upon them. I have them. to talk about my custom bike for a second because Ben posted a picture of the picture that I posted of the down tube. Um, 
Matt said something yesterday about stirring the pot, and I wanted to say that's what she said. And so I just posted a picture of my new custom frame. Oh, that's what that means. I, I didn't know. I looked at it. I'm like, because, I don't know what that means. And I looked yeah, away. Yeah, down at the, uh, like, right in front of the bottom bracket, under, what the, on the... What the fuck is wrong with you? How do you not know that that stands for that's what she said? I never use that acronym. I just T-W-S-S. Don't. That's what she said. Oh, my it's God. It's because when I was first talking to Chris at Cisco about what I wanted in a frame, I was like, yes, I want oversized and as stiff as possible. And I said, and like in parentheses, I said T-W-S-S. And then, like, he immediately emailed back. He's like, did you just say that's what she said about your frame? That's awesome. And so, like, we decided we'd put that down by the bottom bracket. You just have, like, your whole bike covered in ridiculous acronyms, like, like <laughs> Raffle Copter. No, Raffle Chopter. <laughs> so I've had, uh, I've had a really good custom frame experience. Um, you know, we pretty much I've got a road bike now that, can we we should is, probably change the name of this show to Road Bike Shit. This is yeah, this is like the road bike show. Which is fine. That's what we do in the wintertime here. Yeah, it's okay. So I'm uh, not bitching, I'm just, just saying. Yeah, so pretty much I've been communicating with um one guy the one guy at Cisco the entire time, Chris, and Richie is the frame builder. Um and Richie used to work Linsky. Um, and now he does his own thing. So is it really a two-person show? It is. It's okay. a two-person show. It's like a two-person in a garage show. I mean, it's it's tiny, but I mean, I'm yeah. If you just look at it, the the quality of this is really nice. They use um, they use American titanium. If you know that, if you're concerned about that, um, and I've, I've so it's gonna have little pieces of dip melt, yeah, it melted could, into it. Could, it might. Um, <laughs> Kind of what I realized just riding it today and from, like, Kenny and Matt both rolling around on it. Granted, it's not really their size or whatever, but um, is that I've got a bike now that is, it's, I mean, it's one of a kind, and it's, it's, that's why I love it so much. Like, I could just tell in an hour of riding it that it's, it's just awesome. It's exactly what I want. Like, any other, you know, you can get an OEM bike that will be, 98% awesome for you, but there might be like 2% of the stuff about the bike that you don't like. Uh, but I'd like to point something out here. Yeah. So all this stuff is only applicable if you know what you want. If you know what you want. And yeah. you're never going to know what you want until you ride, in my opinion, a bunch of factory bikes. And you need, yeah. you need to start narrowing it down with a factory bike and try different factory bikes and tweak with factory bikes. And then you figure out, okay, I've like this about this bike and this about this bike. And then in the end, okay, I'm going to bring all that together and make, you know, the, the daddy bike that exactly, does everything. Exactly. Like you need to know exactly what you want. But like, don't go, I'm telling you, just, and I know custom frame builders are going to be all pissy and they're going to kick me in the nuts and all this stuff. <laughs> but if you don't know what you want, don't go to a frame builder and think, okay, I'm getting a custom bike. It's one of my, I've got a lot of money now. It's like my second bike I've ever built or done or whatever. And you're way early in the riding experience process. And you say, okay, I'm going to go and do this custom bike because everyone says it's awesome. And you don't know what you want. So you're going to end up with one or two things, one of two things. You're going to end up with a bike that you think is awesome because you paid a bunch of money for it and it was custom and somebody else told you that it was good. Or two, you're going to end up with a bike that's just total shit. 
which they're kind of one and the same thing. But either way. Well, I mean, you, you might end up with a bike that, like, you ride it and you're like, yeah, this is, I like this bike. There's a possibility. Yeah, like, that I, I, and you most likely, like, if you've ridden a couple of other OEM bikes and you're like, hey, I really like this. And, uh, you know, I want a custom bike that's just because I want a custom bike, whatever. Um, you know, you're probably going to be fine with it. But, you know, you may not be getting your, like, $3,000 worth of enjoyment out of it the way that, you know, like, I, I ride this. And it's like I, I had told him, uh, I told Chris, it's like I want a bike that, you know, when I think about turning, that it starts to turn. Like, I don't even want, I don't want to touch the handlebars. I just want to, like, think about turning and shift my weight a little, and the bike's fucking turning. That's what I want, and that's that's what this bike does. And, you know, it probably isn't for everybody, but that's why they don't make OEM bikes like this one. Yeah, but you have to know. You have a to, lot of people wouldn't like that. You have to know what you want. You, if you, you just got to know what you want, I think. If you know what you want going into it, you're going to get what you want out of it. So just don't make that assumption, and I think a lot of people do. I'm going to get a custom bike. And that and goes with anything. Expensive. Custom bike equals awesome. And, yeah, it can equal awesome if you needed a custom bike. You know, that's – anyway, that's, and, that's and, just I mean, my, the same thing can happen for any really, like, high-end bike. Oh, yeah. Just because you buy a bike that costs five or $6,000 doesn't automatically mean that you're going to think it's, like, rainbows and unicorns. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean – not that Matt buys bad bikes. I'm not saying that. Like, Matt's got uh, the aluminum carve, the specialized carve, and he freaking loves that bike. Like, we're we're riding, and, like, he'll do a wheelie down the street, and he's like, God, I love this bike. You know, and he didn't spend a, a whole lot of money on it, and he, he loves it. So don't think that tons of money equals loving your bike. But they're – and I'll admit, though, the only thing that I could change about that bike would have to be custom – and it would be, again, in a way that would make that bike, and I don't want to make this come across like I think I'm some like super rider that can ride bikes the mere mortal can't. But the ways I would want that bike to change would make it where that bike didn't feel stable to Joe Blow. So, and that's why they don't make exactly. that geometry as an OEM that's why you, exactly. That's why you don't see that geometry in your normal... What can be a fifteen hundred dollar hardtail? Like this bike is built as an entry level race bike. Um, I mean, they have one at. What would what would you change about it? I, I'm curious. Short and chain stays. That's it. It would have a yoke in the rear end, and it would have uh, four hundred and twenty five millimeter or four hundred and twenty millimeter chain stays instead of four forty. So it would be just even snappier in the rear. Yeah. And it would. Like a dicky bike. Yeah, it would be a dicky bike, and it would lift turn. I don't, there's not a, I don't, I've never seen it written or really talked about, but when you go into the corner and you just pull up on the inside of the handlebar and the front wheel just lifts and like scrapes across the ground through the corner because you're like almost well, wheeling it through the, the corner. Well, the Air 9 Carbon does that. Like my small Air 9, I can definitely By the way, it's really funny. I, li- I do that move. I like that move. Like the, I love that. Like the, I want to reposition, I'm going relatively slow, I want to reposition my front wheel, I'm going to apply a little bit of power, and I'm going to like yank the bike over to where yeah, I want to be. Yeah, I'm going to pull the front end over here. Yeah. And like, instead of turning through the corner, I'm going to like... See, I don't ever do that on my full suspension. I don't, I, at least I don't notice it. That's why, I think that's part of the reason I didn't that's like... That's why I like that bike with a 100 mil fork, because it makes a big difference. But also, yes, the full suspension bike has a longer chainstay, so it doesn't want to do that as much. And the other thing is, when I lean and put power down... It it eats up the the rear tire isn't static, so the rear tire compresses 
I didn't feel like I could do that without exaggerating so much that it, like, defeated the purpose of doing it. So, just never really... I mean, I didn't... I'll, I'll admit it. I didn't put that many miles on that spearfish, but I didn't have to. Like, yeah. I mean, I once, you've, once you've got some experience, it doesn't always take that long. Mm-mm. And I just never... I, I don't know. I just... I mean, that's why I say, like, an hour into riding my, my new bike, it's like, this is this is so awesome. It's just, like, everything about it is just awesome. There's not, like, a one thing, like, yeah, I mean, it's awesome except for this one thing. The one thing that's, that's like, less awesome about mine is that the, uh, the cable stop on the rear chain stay is exactly where the heel cup of my road shoe wants to hit. And it needs to be, like, scooted over or up a little bit or down, but that's, like, the one thing, that's, like, the the 0.01% thing that's not awesome on my bike. What are you looking at, Kenny? No, you can keep talking. I'm just, I'm, I'm nerding over here. Oh, are you nerding on my bike? No worries. But, yeah, like, so, you know, Matt loves his car. I, I can, I can vouch for that, because I've heard him love on it. <laughs> that doesn't smell right. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the other stuff on that uh, sheet of paper you got over there? You want to answer the other Facebook question about shorts? What shorts do you like? The ones that don't hurt your balls. <laughs> and if you don't have balls, the ones that don't hurt your mythical not balls. Michael Frey says, you've mentioned wearing decent riding shorts and important no junk for your junk. What brands and lines slash price point do you recommend? The most expensive one you can afford because it's going to be nicer. Yeah. It's going to last longer when you wash it a bunch and you better wash it every oh. time you ride because that's disgusting. How about this? Yeah. You don't wear shorts. You wear bibs. That's the number one. Yeah. yeah I mean, if you, if you don't, if you don't, uh, yeah, just buy bibs. Cause and if bibs you don't spend $150, it's probably not worth your money. More than likely. Yes. I mean, if you get some clothes out on, if, all right, how about retail? Re- yeah, exactly. Yeah, retail, retail, retail. If the normal retail price of the bib is under $150, chances are it might be a piece of crap. Um, so just, Keep that in mind. And you might be able to find a good deal on some closeout sets. You know what I have? The one exception with bibs. Um, what I have noticed is that because a lot of women do not like bib shorts, um, because A, whatever, they just don't like bib shorts because they're more expensive, and B, um, it's harder in most, unless they have some kind of a drop tail, you have to take your jersey off to go to the bathroom. Like, you have to stop, whatever, you know, during your ride, you, you have to partially undress to go to the bathroom. Um, they actually make, there are some women's shorts. Not but, big. I mean, if you're, I mean, there I, are some women's if shorts you're wearing a sports a bra, really, is that really that big of a deal? I mean, it's, it's, it's annoying it for longer. me, too. No. It takes longer because you have to, you know, you take your jersey off. If it's summertime, you're really sweaty and yeah. it wants to, like, stick. Oh, I agree. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's really it's annoying. And time, it's cold, you know? Like, it, no one likes to have to take their jersey off to to, to just pee, you know? And, and so there are actually, I've seen some women's shorts that I would be very much inclined to wear. Like, the, the top of them is very well-shaped. Um, they don't have, like, a really skinny little elastic waistband. Like, it's a really wide band, but it still looks like it would hold up really well and not let them split down. I don't know if they make men's shorts like that, um, but women's shorts, you can definitely find some very nice, nicely built shorts, um, you know, that, that are kind of made to be almost as good as bibs and more convenient. 
Um, but yeah, if you're a guy, go with bibs. Um, go with bib shorts and whatever. Uh, $150 or more. Is that that your end recommendation? Matt, are you researching over there or are you just uh, distracted? I'm just, I'm just on the internet. Okay. <laughs> so let me have this. Uh, do you, oh yeah, let's talk about the add-on cogs. I thought that was kind of a cool thing that seems to be like coming out strong all of a sudden. Um, what's the company that I saw first was like, was it One Up is the name of it or something? The people that are making a 42-tooth cog that you put on your 10-speed cassette. Yeah, there's another company that makes a 40 that just came out, um, if you're curious. Wolf Tooth makes one, and Wolf Tooth is a mountain bike radio sponsor. Uh, that's why I want it. I, mean, I think it's a cool product, and Wolf Tooth makes one. So let me find it. If you're a mountain bike radio subscriber, you can get 15% off of any Wolf Tooth components. Uh, there they are. They're they're kind of down in the Mountain Bike Radio uh, Facebook page. And unlike homebrew comp- components, they are not vaporware. <laughs> yeah, it's not like some jackass who's in in his basement stealing your money. <laughs> Do you ever get any of your money back? No, I he finally shipped the products. Uh, it took a year and a half. Year and a half later. Is a year taking, and a half. Is he taking orders still? No. He Good. stopped. No, it took took a year and a half. And surprisingly enough, I no longer had the bike that that shit was going to go on. Uh, that was the complaint I heard from a lot of people. So I hope that guy trips on a bag of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have to eat them also? No, I just want him to trip on it. Okay. Maybe, what if maybe he tripped on them in like some weird fashion? So like he tripped and kicked them, so when he landed, the bag of dicks landed on top of him. Yeah. Like maybe one or two of them went like up its butt. Yeah. No, no, like maybe just a dick rolls out and like lands against <laughs> like his arm. Him in the face a little. No, lands yeah. against his arm while he's laying on the ground. And he's like, Oh, I deserve that karma. I should have shipped all those chain rings instead of buying blow. Yeah, so there are some companies out now. Um, Wolf Tooth Components is one of them that make a forty two tooth um, cog for your cassette, for your ten speed cassette. Um, and while I know this is very much like a poor man's XX1 or similar range, at least, so you can run an 1142, um, they're saying that you would use like your 1136 cassette and you would pull the lowest gear off, like the largest, that 36 off, and you would put the 42 on. How do you pull the 42? Or no, no, you don't pull it off. Like you take like a 17, 17 out of the middle. Sorry. I was smoking crack there for a second. Um, yeah, so you um, yeah, you take a 17 out and you put this 42 on first and then you put the cassette on. Um, that's cool, but my thing is even with like the 11 speed stuff, like that'll, that 1042, there are some really obnoxious gaps in those gears that I've found. And that's you're, just because we live in Memphis. You're yep. losing one gap though. Yeah. Because you started 11. Yeah. So really, yeah, you're true. losing a gap. I wonder if you could use an 1132 and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I don't can know you, if it can would make you that do, shift. Can you do different? Um, I was wondering if you could take a gear out besides the 17 because the 17, at least in Memphis, or if you live anywhere where it's relatively flat, the 17 is a pretty useful gear. Well, much more um, useful than a 42. So check this out. This is some stuff that I've read. Um, one option was, and this is really a great option. Um, 
you're not riding that bike on the road a lot, or you don't feel like you're that fast, mm-hmm. um, take run a 1236 cassette. Yeah. That's your number one thing. So then you do, if you never use your 11, and you go to a 1236, then you're you're kind of making it up, and you're getting an extra gear in there, and you can drop that one out. You see what I mean? Yeah. So, like, if an 1136 goes 11, 12, 14, 16, 17, 18, whatever. Yeah. Then you're... I was just wondering if you could you take can. any gear out. It doesn't necessarily have to be the 17. Uh, but I read something else that you... I, I wish I knew the breakdown on a Shimano cassette. I guess, can you look that up? Like a Shimano 1136? Yeah. Uh, I might be able to find it pretty quick. Um but what are you guys looking for? The what's the the breakdown on that on an eleven thirty six cassette? Oh, uh, it, should be, it should be it should be eleven thirteen, fifteen, seventeen, nineteen. I got it here. Something like that. It's eleven, thirteen, fifteen, seventeen, nineteen, twenty one, twenty four, twenty eight. 32, 36. Okay, so this is what the person was talking about. You would take your, you would get an 1136 XT cassette. You would take the fit, and you would purchase a one-up, or, oh, shit, you buy a wolf tooth, 44, or 42 tooth. Or a one-up, it doesn't, you know, Um, there's there's several out there. We just, we recommend wolf tooth. We've had good experiences with them in the past. And then you would also buy a Shimano 16-tooth 10-speed cog. They make those, replacement individual cogs. So you take your 15 and your 17 out. So you would have 11, 13, 16, 19, 21. Or then you'd move into the blocks and then to your 42. That's a good idea. It's a really good idea. I read that. um, Actually, I read the comments on something on Bike Rumor and... Let's just say that they were less than someone's honest answer was, why don't you just buy XX1 and quit being cheap? It's like, well, (laughs) and I know earlier I was saying don't be cheap, but this is somewhere where it's a huge price difference. You can have really nice 10-speed parts. Yeah. Like, I've got XTR 1x10. I do, too. It's awesome. And it's awesome. It's really nice. So, I mean, if I needed it, I could do one of these setups for a little over $100 versus... $1,300. $1,300. Right. So, and the, the other thing to think about is you could do two things. Um, you could spend $200 and you could have a 30-3-0 tooth wolf tooth chain ring and a one-up or fuck. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, well, that was the first one I read about. So yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's for the first one that, that was the, on the Or you could buy a, and then you could buy an add-on gear from any company. And for $200, you would have, like, Breckenridge gearing. Oh, so a little thing to keep in mind about the 16-tooth thing mm-hmm. is the middle-range Shimano gears can be very difficult to find because you have to, you pretty much have to get them direct from Shimano, which is fine and well, but they're almost always out of stock. Oh, really? So just keep that in mind. You might be able to find some have other one. like, QBP or something? No, QBP does not carry them. QB okay. quality bike carries usually the first two cogs of every cassette. So they have an 11 that's made to go on some certain 11, uh, and, and then the 13 that's made to go on only a certain kind of 13 cassette. So basically, if you look at a 13-2 Shimano Cog, they've got like 37 different versions. Right, of I know. Crazy. I know. And because of so, the... And they're very minor ramp differences and blah, blah, blah. But regardless, 
it can be very, very, very difficult to find a proper um, ramped 16-tube steel cog that's made to go in a Shimano cassette. So I think you could probably use a Miche one, or I don't know how you say that, that Italian company that makes kind of cheap cogs. Yeah, they're like, like some. Uh, they're like ten bucks. The problem is they're not designed to work in an existing Shimano setup. They're only made to work by themselves. To yeah, I wonder if you could just use the sixteen tooth like a like the Surly. No, yeah, that's like nine it's feet not ramped. Feet. Is the problem? And, and the it's other also problem is nine feet spacing. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. The other feet issue feet. is it's not flattened in the middle. So basically, when you apply power to the thing, it's just gonna skip. What? So it's the whole reason why my single speed setup never worked on my full suspension bike. Because I was trying to use single-speed cogs with a derailleur, and they hate it. They just don't work. Did you try using a geared cog? Yep, it worked perfect. Oh. That's weird. Yep. That is weird. It's weird. So, anyway, keep that in mind. That It can be hard to find a 16 it can be hard. To, it can be hard to find a 16-2 Shimano cog. Well, then the other real flip, the other thing, back to the beginning, is you just run a 1236 set. I mean, sure, you're losing the 11, but... Again, See, this is the argument that I don't understand. Why would you buy a 1230s, even if you ended up with a 1242 cassette, why didn't you run the 1136 cassette with a smaller front ring and it'd be the same damn thing? And you wouldn't have spent all that extra money. Well, because when, because these 1236 cassettes are not made for 1x10. They're made for doubles. And if you never use your 3811... Okay. We're talking about a one-by setup here, right? Ten-speed ten cassettes are not made for one-by. They're made for two-by. I guess so, but yeah. What, what not I guess point? so. No, no. that's what I'm saying is they're not made for one-by gearing where you're like, oh, I'll go down two teeth on my front cog. Like, what if you're already running a small front-end setup? I guess so, but I mean, I can't, I just can't imagine. I suppose if you couldn't go, if you had a crank setup that was such that you couldn't go below a 32, which I could see. No, I'm not. No, two by ten. This stuff is made for. Are we two, talking about one by ten? I'm so confused right now. Ten speed cassettes are not made for one by ten. Well, sure. I what? I don't understand your point at all. That's I, why they have twelve tooth cassettes because they're made to work with twenty four thirty six. Okay, I thought you were saying. Well, I thought you were suggesting that someone go buy a twelve thirty six cassette for their one yeah, by. Yeah, I am. If you never use your eleven, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I, I guess so. And then you don't lose that in the bottom. And then that's why they make 12s, because yeah. people don't use a 3811. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. Or a 3211. Or a 38 if you had 2x. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, you're 2x, you're like 3811. That's like 30 miles an hour. Like, I did used to have to work on this guy's bike, and he insisted that he had to run a 44 tooth big ring. On a 29er. So he was running a, four, a 22, 32, 44 with an 11, 34 cassette. I've, I've talked with customers that are adamant. They're right. like, I use my big ring and my small scare, use my hardest gear all the time. <laughs> and I'm thinking, You're you, like, I would have, ride with you, you have to be shitting me, bro. Because at like 80 RPM, like pretty comfortable cadence, yeah. it's like, 40 miles an hour on flat. Who in the hell is doing that? It's not it's 40. It's ridiculous. It's over 30. Who's doing that on a mountain bike? I mean, I'm I know sorry. It's, like it's with a the, load of crap. With the 2x10 stuff, I use I use my 11 on the 2x10. I use it, I mean, in situations where I'm doing, like, 
a three minute interval and I kind of like it's flat and I might have a little bit of a tailwind, I'll get on like the 3811 and use it. But I don't, I mean, I'm not really spinning it out or anything, but I'm definitely like, I need that 3811. And I guess I've just gotten used to riding my bike, but I've got a technically very narrow range. I've got a 3411. That's my hardest gear. And I've never, I've never had a problem with that's it. That's good on, for most stuff. Even on the road. Like if I've got to go spin down oh, a yeah. hill. I mean, I'll that's just, what I, that's I'll what I mean. Like when I, when I need that, I'm purposefully going really fast. Like I'm hammering like putting out as much power as I can for that short period of time. Like if I'm just riding for half an hour between trails, like on the road, like I could, I could easily deal with that. Cause I mean, I've ridden single speed a ton. Um, you know, and like the, the NUE stuff, like there's always long road sections where you just have, you have to just be patient. Um, but I'm talking about like, if you use your mountain bike for training on the road, sometimes you may need that. I doubt the guy you're talking about that <laughs> has to have. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's I just think it's really silly when they come in because I had more than one person tell that to me. Maybe just because I recommended, hey, you need to upgrade your drive frame because everything is shot. Maybe you should try two by ten. They're like, no, I, that's never going to work. And I'm no. Yeah. That's that's silly. Yeah, a forty tooth anything on a twenty nine er is completely and utterly ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's yeah, just stupid. Um, I think we've covered enough of these questions. I think it's covered enough that I'm ready to go to bed. Yep, it's 8.30. I'm leaving. 8.31. Get out of here. Kenny's got that night ride. Are you doing a night ride tonight? I'm thinking about it. Yeah. But I don't know. Probably not tonight. I think tomorrow night. Yeah, it's going to be kind of muddy still. It's pretty nice out, actually. Really? Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yep, everything is good. That's good. I cut so much stuff off the uh, yellow trail. Mm-hmm. It's, that thing's clear now. I don't know about the rest of the trails. Have you ridden down any of the other ones? Yep, I've ridden down pretty much all the WRT stuff in the past week. Road Gray's Creek. Oh, well, Gray's Creek is different. Yeah, it was fine. That's good. Yeah. All right, let's go have some mayonnaise goo chomps. Mayonnaise goo chomps. Thanks for listening to another episode of Mountain Bike Radio. Be sure to head over to mountainbikeradio.com to find a full listing of all the shows recent episodes, archives, and you can buy some swag, t-shirts, socks, stickers, and you can become a member in which you get deals on coaching, nutrition, products, and a whole bunch of other things. So be sure to head over to mountainbikeradio.com and you'll find all the info you need. Thank you.